You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another edition of the Nest Talk podcast, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. And today is November 8th, 2019. This episode of Nest Talk, episode 52, is being recorded at about 1.22 in the afternoon. Um, a little later than usual, but that is because the Ravens dropped a giant piece of news right before I was getting ready to come into the studio and set everything up. So it set me back a little bit, and we will talk about that right away once we get into the news section here. But of course, we do have to go over some housekeeping things, as always. You guys know the drill if you're a long-time listener here. If you are a new-time listener, though, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel or to the iTunes account if you are listening to this on either of those channels. Uh, and if you are listening through the website, make sure you subscribe to the email list on BaltimoreFeather.com. That way you get all the latest Ravens News opinion articles and, of course, Nest Talks right away. But if you are on YouTube or iTunes listening to this, Make sure you subscribe there to get the latest Nest Talk as soon as it comes out every week on Friday. Now, if you are on the website, you will notice that we have a new format, and I think it's a lot better than the old one. The old one was getting, not that it was boring, but it just didn't look good in my opinion, and I've been searching for a long time to uh, find a new version for the website, a new format for the website, and I really like the one we are currently on. It has a few issues. I'm looking to fix it. Um, but it's much better overall, and if we can't fix those issues, we'll just, you know, uh, move on to a different format and keep it as relatively the same as possible. But it's it's a really nice format, I think. Uh, and if you haven't checked it out, go to baltimorefeather.com to check it out. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you rate us on iTunes as well. If you're listening on YouTube, like us on YouTube, uh, like the video on YouTube. If you're looking to follow us on Twitter, uh, at Nest Talk or at Baltimore, uh, sorry, at Nest Talk or at Be More Feather is where you can find us. You can find me at Chris Linfun on Twitter. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Just search up Nest Talk or the Baltimore Feather on Facebook. Um, before we head into the news of the day, I do just want to mention that we have some new things coming to the podcast, some things in the work I'm not really going to talk about right now, but there's a lot of ideas floating around being shot back and forth um, to enhance the, the podcast tremendously. I mean, tremendously. It's, it's It may be, unrecogn- well, not unrecognizable, but... There are some things I want to do with it that will make this podcast way better than it is right now. Um, and, of course, I hope all our longtime listeners will like it. And I, I appreciate any feedback I get when I make these changes. You'll know when when, I, when you see them. Um, they're going to be pretty obvious when they start coming out. But I don't expect to have major changes in the next com- few weeks. Maybe sometime after Thanksgiving into December, we'll, we'll start making some big changes to the podcast. And of course, over the off season, we'll probably play a little bit more. It's a little less hectic. Um, right in the dead zone after the playoffs and before the draft, you know, the, that February-ish month, assuming we make it to February, uh, we'll have a lot of changes in there. But there are some changes coming to the podcast in the near future, so please stay tuned for those. I'm not exactly sure when and how, um, but they could come as soon as next week. They could come as late as... Um, December, maybe January, but we have some things going on. We are trying to revamp everything with Baltimore Feather uh, and all the subsidiaries. Of course, BaltimoreFeather.com has the new format. Um, that was huge. Um, looking at some sponsorship opportunities right now, actually, we'll mention that, but we'll, we'll get more into that in the future. 
um, as we head right into the Ravens news right now, which is way more important than anything else we've got to talk about today. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of Ravens news that happened this week. There are a couple of news stories that I want to touch on, but there was a bigger one, a much, much bigger one that just happened today, um, a couple hours ago, actually, as I was sitting, getting ready to finish um, something up and then go to the studio and, and get ready for the podcast. The Ravens announced via Twitter, and I was late on this. I didn't see it until 40 minutes after. It would have helped if I saw it earlier, but I didn't. Um, the Ravens announced on Twitter that they signed, and, and this might be the first time some of you are hearing this, so they signed LJ Fort to a two-year contract extension. That Yeah, the LJ Fort, the Baltimore Ravens, got midseason this year in September. Um, they picked him up after Philadelphia cut him. Now it's a two-year contract extension, and according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, one of the leading NFL insiders in the business, the Baltimore Ravens gave him not only a two-year deal through 2021, but he's going to get paid $5.5 million, $3.25 million in fully guaranteed money. And honestly, I feel so happy for LJ Fort because this is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity for him. He's been on and off teams really for his entire career. I mean, he had a few years with Pittsburgh, right, um, from 2015 to 2018 with Pittsburgh, but he was never a full-time starter. Um, and this is really his first starting opportunity in Baltimore. He started the past three games as an inside linebacker, and him and Josh Bynes this year have been killing it at inside linebacker. We needed massive help bringing those two guys in. I mean, really, really helps this defense. And he's only 29 years old, so – Keeping around for the next few years is going to be a good decision, I think, on the Ravens' part. And, you know, he's really putting in the work this year so far. He's got 14 combined tackles, 11 solo tackles in three games. Um, of course, you've got the three assists, the sack. He has a sack and a pass deflection. So LJ Fort has been tremendously good for the Ravens over the past few weeks here that he's been in this defense. Um, and I totally love the move, in all honesty. It's keeping guys who are doing well now with this team. And again, the $3.25 million fully guaranteed money he's getting is tremendous for his life. It really is. I don't think enough people realize what guaranteed money actually means to some of these players. Um, you know, it allows them to play and not worry about what comes afterwards, right, if they get cut. And for somebody like LJ Fort, who's been on and off teams really, for his entire career. This is a lot of money for him. It's great payday. Um, but now, from a football standpoint, doesn't make a practical sense. Absolutely. It makes a fantastic practical sense. He's been putting in the work this year. Um, and, I mean, $5.5 million over two years, in the grand scheme of things, in the salary cap, where we're going to have about $130 million in salary cap for the next two years each year, it's not really that expensive for the Ravens to do this. And they're getting a very solid player. Now, it doesn't mean the Ravens shouldn't invest in inside linebacker again in the future. You know, if they have an opportunity to get a C.J. Mosley-type player again, I would be all for it, right? But what L.J. Fort does for the Ravens is even if they go and get that guy, he's still going to be a good contributor. They're not going to be weak on any inside linebacker play in the near future. If, if they go and get somebody, if they stand pat, if they re-sign Josh Bynes to a deal, if they if they keep LJ Fort and Patrick Onwaso, perhaps, it could be a decent enough linebackers group. And I'm not saying that these guys are fantastic. They're good enough, right? LJ Fort is a good inside linebacker for us, but he's not C.J. Mosley. He's not what Ray Lewis was. 
He's not what Bart Scott was. But he is doing the job the Ravens need him to do right now. And they have a good combination of guys in there that, that are putting in the work and reviving this defense. Because really, I mean, you look at the way the defense has transformed over the previous few weeks, right? LJ Fort, Josh Bynes, Marcus Peters, all weren't on this team to start the year. Um, even Jihad Ward, who had a good game the past two weeks, wasn't on this team. Jimmy Smith was on for like a few minutes until he got injured in week one. I mean, you could argue that five players at least, and I'm probably missing somebody, weren't on this team at the start of the year. So it shows you two things about Eric DaCosta this move. It shows you, one, that he's not going to stand complacent with what he's got. He's going to make moves to try to improve a team no matter what. And that's that's just smart managing, general managing a team. It's just smart when you're building a team to be open to getting new players wherever they come, whenever they come. Whether it's LJ Fort, Marcus Peters, even Jihad Ward's been a nice contributor for the Ravens. I mean, these are guys that nobody thought would do much for the I mean, yeah, Marcus Peters obviously was a big pickup, but who who here listening to this thought LJ Fort was going to be worthy of a two-year extension, $5.5 million at the time of the signing? Who thought Jihad Ward was going to be a, a nice contributor on the defensive line? Right? And who even thought, even Maurice Kennedy, who we're going to talk about in a minute here, wasn't on this team at the start of the year. He was on the practice squad, but came up and did a phenomenal job, really. I mean, for what Maurice Kennedy does, he has a lot of he had a lot of problems. He wasn't a great corner. But he did what they ha- he had to do this year, and that was big for him. Um, but it shows you the whole LJ Fort, Josh Bynes situation, you know, all of these guys. It shows you that Eric DaCosta is not going to stay complacent with a team that's underperforming. He's going to go out and get players that um, can help the team, even if it's in a small way. It's enough pieces of a puzzle to make the puzzle. You don't want to have you're not I mean, you're not gonna be able to get one oversized piece that takes up half the puzzle, right? Not this not at this point in the season. You gotta find the little pieces, and that's what Eric DaCosta has done. He's found the little pieces of the puzzle over and over and over again to make a very nice puzzle. And the Ravens defense, I know still isn't the best defense out there, but I mean against the Patriots, it was a lot better than expected. Against the Seattle Seahawks, it was a lot better than expected. And honestly, it looks much better than it was against the Cleveland Browns. That was probably the worst defense Ravens defense I've ever seen in my life it was dreadful but now here they are sitting at six and two and we'll get into the Patriots game of course re-signing one of their key players from this run and things are looking great for the Baltimore Ravens um now the other thing it signals about Eric DaCosta because I did say there were two things the other thing it signals for the Eric DaCosta is his personal philosophy which I touched on I think a little bit back when they signed Tavon Young to the extension, and that's Eric DaCosta wants to lock down players now. Now. He's not going to wait like maybe Ozzie Newsom would have until free agency, let them test the market, and try to re-sign them. And then if it was too much, let them walk. No. Eric DaCosta wants to lock his players down now. He signed five people early. And he hasn't even been on the job for a year. He signed five people early. Marshall Yonda to an extension, Tavon Young to a three-year extension, a big payday for him. Justin Tucker to an extension with a nice payday. Willie Sneed to an extension with a with a nice payday. More guaranteed money, I believe. And now Josh Bynes to a two-year 5.5. I'm sorry, not Josh Bynes. L.J. Fort to a two-year 5.5 million dollar deal. Eric DaCosta wants 
to lock all of his players down immediately. He is trying to ensure the Ravens keep the guys that make them great now into the future. And that is that is a separation from what Ozzie Newsom did. Ozzie Newsom, you know, was a great general manager and hit but his strategy was if if they weren't getting anywhere on contract talks, he let them walk. And maybe maybe they're just Eric DaCosta is just able to haggle these guys down more. Maybe that's the deal. Or maybe these guys just want to be in Baltimore more. You know, he hasn't signed Ronnie Stanley to a contract extension yet. Hasn't signed Marlon Humphrey to a contract extension yet. Hasn't signed Matt Judon either, but he signed other guys. And if he can sign some of those guys now or right before free agency, it will be a fantastic situation for the Baltimore Ravens to be in because they'll be keeping the guys that have made them good, made them great for a long time in the future. And teams that draft well do well, but teams that draft well and keep their drafted players for a while that do well can build dynasties, and that's what Eric DaCosta is trying to do here with his approach. Now, I'm not saying they're going to build a dynasty, and look, some of these guys they've, they've, they've extended here, Willie Sneed and LJ Fort, weren't draftees. But I'm saying that this is the right path, in my opinion, to building the best Baltimore Ravens team now and in the future. And Eric DaCosta really has, has floored me with his job so far. He really has. He has been way more than I expected at general manager. And I thought he was going to be good. He's fantastic so far. I have not disagreed that I can think of. Maybe I have. You guys can correct me on it if, if you've heard me say something in the past. But I have not disagreed with the movies made so far. I seriously haven't. I seriously have not. And it's really fantastic, the job he's doing in Baltimore. Um, another thing he's done this year is he signed DeAnthony Thomas, the wide receiver formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I mean, Thomas played running back at Oregon. I think it was a 2014 draft pick. Don't hold me on that. Played running back at Oregon. The speed is what the Chiefs wanted. They put him at wide receiver and returner, although he did get carries, um, usually like jet sweeps and stuff. Now, DeAnthony Thomas, his speed really is going to be used for the Ravens. Um as a receiver, they're not going to put him at running back, but there's something they want from him, and that's going to be to be a return man. And why do they want him to be a return man? When you look at what happened against the New England Patriots, and we are going to talk about the entire game, but when you look at what happened specifically in the return game against the Patriots, it hasn't been pretty at all. It has not been pretty. The Baltimore Ravens had a Cyrus Jones muffed or fumble. I don't know if it was muffed or it was just a fumble on the run, and then Chris Moore fumbled on a return. I mean, it was a punt and a kick return, two, two fumbles, on one on each. The kick return game, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not been fun to watch this entire year. Justice Hill doesn't get very far. Chris Moore, I mean, Chris Moore's been a major disappointment. I'm sorry, but Chris Moore, I have no idea what he's doing out there. He needs to step up because he hasn't done anything properly this year. But back to the return game, it's been dreadful to watch it's been so boring I mean this is I, I got used to Jacoby Jones right that's what I want to see when I see a returner we want to see Jacoby Jones out there we don't want to see Chris Moore or I mean Justice Hill you know he's a rookie I, I give him more credit than Chris Moore here um but we don't want to see him getting to like the 19 yard line every time I mean taking a knee and getting to the 25 is more efficient than taking and running with these guys and you know the 25 yard line is good but when we had someone like Jacoby Jacoby would take it from the back of the end zone to the 40, 50, and sometimes to the house. I mean, that's just 
what we're missing from special teams. It's not exciting on kickoffs anymore. There's no excitement at all. None. So the Ravens want to bring in somebody who can maybe give some excitement. And to them, DeAnthony Thomas might be that guy. I say might because Chris Horton, the special teams coordinator, came out and said that he has to evaluate before any decisions are made. But they want to use DeAnthony Thomas some way, somehow. And it's the speed, really. It's the speed that makes him. He's had a, he's had kick returns in the past. I mean, he's done well on kick returns. Let's not pretend he hasn't here. DeAnthony Thomas with the Kansas City Chiefs, actually, um, he averaged 8.8 yards per punt. I mean, that's okay. It's not great. But when you look and you see that he also averaged 24.5 yards per kick return, and in his rookie year, 30.6, that's something you want to look at. And and most recently, I mean, he, he's had a down year. Um, 2018, 19.3 yards per return, not great. But in 2019, he came back up with 22.1. Here's the problem, though. D'Anthony Thomas has some fumble issues. He fumbled twice this year on kick returns. Uh, I think he has like five or six fumbles in his entire career. So it's not exactly the situation you want to find yourself in if he fumbles again, especially because the Ravens signed him in the wake of two fumbles, and that seems to be the big issue because you know John Harbaugh's big, big, big problem, right? What gets you in the doghouse more than anything for John Harbaugh is fumbling. Fumbling the ball will get you put in his doghouse, and you can't get out of the doghouse very easily. I mean, you all remember Bernard Pierce, right? was a good running back for us. He was good. Um, 2014, he had a fumble in the first game of the year when he was a starting running back. Pulled him out. Justin Forsett went in, and the rest was history. I mean, is Chris Moore in the doghouse right now? Maybe because he hasn't done anything. And he's had some fumbles, too. When you get guys put in Harbaugh's doghouse, it's not easy to get out. You have to prove yourself. Tim Williams was in the doghouse, not for fumbling. But, I mean, he's not on the team anymore. So, But back to the back to Anthony Thomas here. The Ravens want to see if he can bring enough to the table in the return game for um, him to be on this roster and contribute as a returner. And if not, he can contribute as a receiver if they have to use him. As a running back, really is an all-around speed weapon. The, the offense is built around speed. It's it's no problem to have another speed guy on this team and someone who could potentially contribute in special teams as well. It's just a good signing overall for the Ravens. But, of course, the Ravens had to part ways with somebody to get DeAnthony Thomas to make room on the roster because you only have those 53 spots available. And DeAnthony Thomas had to take one of them from somebody else. And that unlucky fellow was Maurice Kennedy. And honestly, I feel bad for Maurice Kennedy. And look, long-time listeners here, my feather flockers out there, you know I've never been the biggest fan of Maurice Kennedy. He's had his moments, his up moments, and his down moments. And he's had a lot of down moments. But in the last few weeks, I mean, aside from, I don't remember what game it was, but there was a game I was at the bank, and he was having a bad day on the... On the um, getting picked on. Maybe it was the Bengals game, actually. I think it was the Bengals game at the bank. He was getting picked on badly, right, by whoever it was. I don't remember. I don't think it was Tyler Boyd. It was somebody else. Because A.J. Green was out. He's still out. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, But Maurice Kennedy has got picked on quite a lot in his career. And he's had a lot of bad plays. But this season, he had 
quite a few good plays, and he held down the fort when, he ne- when we needed him most to. And honestly, I have a lot of respect for Maurice Kennedy for doing that. He had some really baller moments, is what he had. He had some straight baller moments out there. And now he's off the team. And why is he off the team? Why would the Ravens cut Maurice Kennedy after the impressive um, impressive year he's had so far? And I think he got picked up, too. I'm pretty darn sure he's with the Jets now. Let me just verify this as I'm talking here because I don't have it written down, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Jets claimed Maurice Kennedy off waivers yesterday or the day before. That's big news from Maurice Kennedy because it shows him he's ready to go back to another team. He wasn't ready to be on a team this offseason. I mean, this offseason, in the preseason, he looked dreadful. He ended up on the practice squad. I mean, this is a guy who spent four years with the Ravens. This was his fourth year. Ended up on the practice squad to start it. Not good. But he did enough to get back to the team. Uh, he was actually one of the highest-paid practice squad players, like 19 k a, a week or something like that. Anyway, back to what we're really talking about here. Why was Maurice Kennedy cut if he was doing well enough to hold down the fort for the Ravens in the secondary? simple math equation. The Ravens have 53 players on the roster at any given time. They had eight cornerbacks with Maurice Kennedy. They had Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr, Marcus Peters, Anthony Averett, Cyrus Jones, Bennett Jackson, and Maurice Kennedy. That's eight corners. And that's not to talk about the secondary, I'm sorry, safeties, right? There you got Earl Thomas, You've got Chuck Clark back there. You have um, Jordan something, who he just signed off the, the New, New England Patriots. Um, Jordan Richards. Uh, I'm missing somebody else, but too many players back there in the secondary. I mean, Ben and Jackson can play sec- safety too. And the thing about Maurice Kennedy, compared to Ben and Jackson maybe, is that Maurice Kennedy didn't have a big enough special teams impact. Maurice Kennedy was inactive against the New England Patriots. You saw Ben and Jackson make a few... Um, tackles on special teams against the Patriots. It wasn't enough to say from Reese Kennedy that he had been a good part of the secondary when it was in desperate need of, of, of players. It honestly was in desperate need of players. And Maurice Kennedy held down the fort until help arrived in Marcus Peters and the return of Jimmy Smith in the darkest hour. And it wasn't enough to save him because they simply couldn't hold on to him. But I am super happy for him, actually, to be picked up by the Jets. That's Joe Douglas up there, former long, long, long-time Ravens uh, assistant. Um, I think he was head of college scouting it for a while or something like that. It's good to, for him to be up with another team that would appreciate him. I mean, the Jets keep picking former Ravens players, so obviously it makes sense for him to go up there. Um, but it is sad, though, that Maurice Kennedy couldn't stay on after all that and and look I've criticized Maurice Kennedy a lot he was never the best player but for some reason in those few weeks he was he was strong and it really was something and I am happy he got picked up by the Jets but this you know this signing overall it had to happen it was, it's something that has to happen in the National Football League it's a business we understand that and not everybody can be on the team you know, no matter how much they contribute for a certain amount of time, it's what what are you going to do for me now, right? It's not what you did for me, it's what can you do for me right now. And Maurice Kennedy's value for the Ravens with eight, eight cornerbacks just didn't make sense to hold on to him any longer, and that's why the Ravens decided to, to ditch him. Now, some people thought they would ditch Cyrus Jones. I mean, that may have made more sense, but if the Ravens aren't willing to commit 
to this guy to be the return specialist now, then Cyrus Jones won't have, um, you know, Cyrus, Cyrus Jones wouldn't be the right cut if they're not going to commit to him right now because, I mean, he, he's the incumbent punt returner. You don't just cut your uh, incumbent without knowing you're going to replace him. If the Ravens don't know that, that's what Horton said, um, the special teams coordinator, then it would make no sense. And plus, he does bring value in the slot because there is no Tavon Young. If Tavon Young was here, I mean, that he we, we wouldn't really have that much value for Cyrus Jones if we don't have him as kick returner. But we do play him in the slot enough, and he does have that, that, that value for the Baltimore Ravens to the point where it makes sense to keep him for at least the foreseeable future. Moving on to the last news story, until we get into our injury status, our weekly injury status, um, the Baltimore Ravens made a move at the practice squad level, somewhat surprising, um, although, you know, it's the practice squad level, a lot of moves happen there regardless, um, but they signed Marcus Applefield, the offensive lineman slash tackle out of the University of Virginia, who spent quite a lot of time with the Ravens this offseason. Um, they put him on the practice squad. He started with the practice squad this this. Um, season actually after being cut by the Ravens in the, the initial round of cuts um, he signed to the initial practice squad and he was there for a few days actually before he was cut um, for somebody else and they brought him back now and they cut Sean Monster for it and Sean Monster look he's a guy a lot of Ravens fans liked I, I know some of them out there really like Sean Monster as a slot receiver as a guy maybe like a Wes Welker Edelman kind of dude but he just doesn't fit the bill for the Baltimore Ravens um, he was on the practice squad, then he was kicked off the practice squad, then he was brought back to the practice squad. Now he's being um, cut from the practice squad once again. Uh, he spent time with the Baltimore Ravens this past offseason as well, just like Marcus Affelfield, both on the initial practice squad. It's possible the Ravens bring him back for a third stint with the practice squad at some point, but right now Sean Monster is off the team. Um, some theorize that he could end up with the New England Patriots. I don't know, maybe he did work out for the Patriots when he wasn't on the Ravens practice squad in that kind of interregnum period, but um, they didn't sign him, so that's that's the number one thing. They didn't actually make a move then, but at least he has somewhere he could end up um, just because he has that relationship after you know working out with them. And, of course, he could always end up back with the Ravens, especially you know the Ravens like to bring back guys they worked out um, in previous years, you know, in the off-seasons. You know, Bennett Jackson, right? Not to you know, get off topic here, but this is on topic. Bennett Jackson spent a couple off seasons with the Ravens before being signed this season, right? They bring back guys back from previous off seasons. Sean Monster could be one of them this, this off season, especially because the Ravens only have four receivers locked down for this upcoming year. Um, they're going to need some more. They could find that in maybe Monster perhaps. So that's all the big news out of Owings Mills, Maryland today. I, of course, want to get to the Ravens' practice status, the injury status of some of these players. Of course, I'd like to give this every week, um, but this week is important because I kind of see Cincinnati as a trap game, although I do think the Ravens actually are going to win. I haven't made my predictions yet, but, I mean, it's Cincinnati. They're favored pretty highly. Ryan Finley is not a rookie quarterback, but it's his first start. The Ravens historically are good against quarterbacks that are inexperienced. It should be a victory, but of course there is room for error, and of course that room for error might start in the injury department for the Baltimore Ravens, and I want to take a look at this injury report and lay it down for you and tell you what my thoughts are on the situation. 
So Mark Ingram ha- was with on the injury report with a non-injury-related absence on Wednesday, but he did participate fully on Thursday and is expected to have participated fully on Friday, although I don't know at the time of this recording what the status of every player was on Friday. Ronnie Stanley had a knee injury. He got banged up a little bit in New England's practice, did not participate. I'm sorry, in New England's practice. In New, the New England game, he did not participate uh, on Wednesday in practice, but he was limited in Thursday. Again, don't know his situation on Friday. Marshall Yanda had an illness on Wednesday, was limited on Thursday, but supposedly um, was limited in practice on Thursday. Don't know what that means um, long term for him. Earl Thomas, Harbaugh says he expects Earl Thomas to play, and so he does with Jimmy Smith on Sunday, but Earl Thomas had a knee injury, did not participate on Wednesday, was limited on Thursday. Lamar Jackson is on the injury report. Do not fret, though. It's nothing serious. He was sick on Thursday, so he got the day off. Supposedly is back today on Friday for practice. Full strength, nothing to worry about. Brandon Williams was out on practice on Thursday with a non-injury-related absence. And Chris Moore has a thumb injury. He was out on Thursday. So who is going to play? Who is not going to play here? Honestly, it looks like everybody's pretty healthy. Mark Ingram is fine. He, he has a non-injury-related absence. Earl Thomas had a non-injury-related absence on Wednesday, I believe, but was limited on Thursday, but should be able to play according to Harbaugh. If Marshall Yonda is sick, you know he's going to play anyway. He's a tough guy. He always plays that kind of stuff. Lamar Jackson's fine right now. You're just sick on Thursday. Didn't want to stress him too much. Um, Brandon Williams was out, but that was non-injury-related. Chris Moore has a very limited role in this team anyway, uh, and with the Anthony Thomas, they could just use him for his role in special teams as well. So even if Chris Moore is healthy, don't be surprised if he's inactive. Um, the only person I'm actually somewhat concerned about is Ronnie Stanley with that knee injury. But depending on what he does today in practice, he could play. Maybe he doesn't play. I'm leaning towards he plays right now. I just don't think he's going to miss this game um, with a knee injury. If he's limited on Thursday, I, have, I imagine he will play on Sunday. But, you know, I can't be held um, to the exact to knowing exactly what's going to happen with him. So a pretty short injury report this week. That's always great to have, you know, a quick three-minute injury report segment. You don't want to be going down the list of 12 players and saying, well, this guy might not play, this guy might not play, this guy's not going to play. Most of these Ravens seem healthy heading into the final, uh, not the final game, into this week, what are we in, week 11 now, matchup against the, the I'm sorry, week 10, week 10 matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, again, always great to have a very small injury report. Um, now we didn't have any questions this week, unfortunately for the Nest Talk podcast. I do like it when you guys have been sending in questions for the previous few weeks. Um, understandable. There's not many that, there's not many, but, uh, there's not that many questions for this week. That's fine. Um, but if you have any questions for next week, you know where to send them to me. You can send them on the YouTube comment. You can send them on, uh, DM through Twitter, wherever you guys want to just, Make sure if it's you know an unconventional way through email or something or just a tweet. Make sure you make sure make sure you note that is for the Nest Talk podcast. Otherwise, I would just answer it like a regular question. But I do like to address your questions, have conversations with you guys. It could be about the Baltimore Ravens, another team. I don't really care. Um, it could be about the, about the draft, although it's pretty early. We had some questions about Chase Young uh, a few weeks ago. Well, I actually had a lot of fun watching his tape. He's a very good player. Um, but again, send in your questions if you have any. I'd like to have football conversations with you guys, and this is just another way to do that. 
Um, so, of course, moving on now, I just want to talk a little bit about Bill Polian, believe it or not. Bill Polian, if you remember, was the main guy saying Lamar Jackson should play as a wide receiver in the National Football League. Now, um, this week, he said that he was wrong about Lamar Jackson playing wide receiver in the National Football League. And I have a confession to make. I, too, was one of those people, originally, that thought Lamar Jackson would, would make a better receiver than a quarterback. I'm, I will openly admit that. That is what I thought. That is what I said. It's on the website. You can go and find the page. It's there. Where I said, might be a better receiver than a quarterback. And you might ask me, why did I think that? Because um, I obviously don't think that now. I haven't thought that <laughs> since after the, like, you know, the first time he hit the field as a starter. I said, okay, you know, he's starting to do some things here. His first game as a starter wasn't very good, um, but you saw the potential was there. And the reason I thought that is really the same line as Bill Paulian. I want to talk about it because I don't think it's a crime to have assumed this. Because, you know, there are people that I see on Twitter going out and be like, yeah, you can't, you know, be a fan of Lamar Jackson now if you thought he was going to only be a receiver in the National Football League. And I, I just don't agree with that. And what Bill Polian said about Lamar Jackson's assumption was wrong. I was wrong about Lamar Jackson. A lot of us were wrong about Lamar Jackson. That's fine. I accept that. You know, you can't get everything right. I've had hundreds of takes. A lot of them are right. A lot of them are wrong. That's just how the business works. But the reason I thought Lamar Jackson, maybe I can't speak directly for Bill Polian, but the reason I thought Lamar Jackson was going to be a receiver, a better receiver than a quarterback, was number one, the history of mobile quarterbacks like him was, was grim. With RG3 in recent memory, with Michael Vick never really doing a whole lot in the NFL. I mean, he was electric, yeah, but he didn't succeed enough. I didn't think there was going to be a team out there willing to fully commit to Lamar Jackson. I thought he was going to have to be made a pocket passer. And what we saw in Louisville, he wasn't a good pocket passer. He never had over, I think, over 57%, 58% completion was, was where he was around. Never never crossing the 60% line. That concerned me drastically. And I looked at his mechanics, and they weren't good. I looked at the offense, and he missed throws. He wasn't that great as a passer, but he was electric as a runner. And when you thought about his running ability, you said, well, they're faster in the NFL. They're a lot faster in the NFL. They're going to catch up to him. They're going to be able to stop him. There's better defenses in the NFL. It's not going to work. And 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 think about it. Every Not every quarterback, mobile quarterback. I mean, Randall Cunningham is probably the biggest exception. But so many running quarterbacks just never pan out in the NFL. I mean, Johnny Manziel is a different story. That's Johnny Manziel. We're not going to get into it. But, but RG3 is really the best comparison for what Lamar Jackson was thinking of becoming in the National Football League. And that's not something I thought was sustainable based on how RJ3's performance went. His build, his size, his speed, he looked like a wide receiver. Honestly, he looked like he could have been a very good wide receiver. And honestly, I think right now if he switched to a wide receiver, he could be a very darn good wide receiver, assuming he can catch. I mean, Braxton Miller changed from quarterback to receiver and had a good couple of years at Ohio State and, and in Houston. He had a, a decent career. I don't think he's in the NFL anymore. But I thought Lamar Jackson probably could have made a few dollars as a receiver. Now, obviously that's wrong. Why is that wrong? Well, let me put it to you this way. If the Cleveland Browns drafted Lamar Jackson, if the Washington Redskins drafted Lamar Jackson, um, if any other team, really any other team drafted Lamar Jackson, yeah, he would have been better off as a receiver. 
I stand by that 100%. Because the Baltimore Ravens, some some of the most intelligent minds work for the Baltimore Ravens. Eric DaCosta, Ozzie Newsom, John Harbaugh. These are guys that know what Lamar Jackson did well in college. They knew what he needed to improve on the NFL. They knew how to build an offensive system around his strengths and wait till he could produce at a higher level where he's weak. Right? It's not just that saying Lamar Jackson isn't going to succeed, you know, could make you completely wrong. Because honestly, if he wasn't picked by the Baltimore Ravens, and some other people have raised this point, I think Warren Sharp, um, he is a analyst, does a lot with stats, um, advanced statistics. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he, he did correctly point out that if another team picked Lamar Jackson, he would not be what he is today because the Ravens were able to commit all their resources to Lamar Jackson. They put an offense that made him succeed. Last year, Lamar Jackson, honestly, was a he wasn't a bad thrower, but he was definitely below average. You look at some of those passes, and it's just like, what are you doing, buddy? But they tailored an offense around him that could make him succeed in the short term while he got better in the long term. If you look at him passing, and I say this every single week, if you look at him passing last year compared to this year, it's night and day. Look at the feet. Look at his frame. Look at the motion. Look at all the mechanics. It's night and day. He's a much better passer right now than he ever was at any point last year in his college career. And maybe some of that's to blame for Bobby Petrino. Honestly, it probably is a lot of Bobby Petrino over there because he was just running off of Lamar Jackson's current abilities, not developing him for the future. But Lamar's a very hard worker. He's a very, very, very hard worker. I give him a lot of credit. He went out and he did all the homework this past offseason, and he's a better passer, and he can continue to become a better and better passer every year. It's rare to see something like this unfold. The Ravens knew this was going to happen. So they said, okay, Lamar, we're going to keep you behind Flacco for a year, and then we're going to let you go in when you're in not full strength. I mean, he still has room to improve as a passer. In all honesty, he does have room to improve, but he's still a very good – he's a good passer. He's not an elite passer, but he's a good passer. He, he, could, he definitely can become an elite passer. That's my point. Not that he's is bad or anything, but he can become an elite passer and an elite rusher, and he's already an elite rusher. But the original plan was, okay – we're going to keep you behind Flacco. We're going to let you develop. We're going to work on your footwork. We're going to work on your mechanics. Everything's going to be okay by 2019 when you take over as a starter. That didn't go according to plan because Flacco got hurt. Um, and the Ravens then had to thrust him in when he was not ready to succeed as a quarterback. There's a reason he rushed for, what was it, 22, 23 times in his first start ever as a Baltimore Raven in the NFL. Ever. He ran more than he passed, and there's a huge reason for that. And all that passes in that game, I was at that game, short, quick throws. And they're lucky it was against the Bengals because a good defense probably would have hit him hard, you know, especially in the, the passing game. They would have closed holes because he was not a very accurate passer that day. But he did enough to win the game, and he slowly got better, and the offense was was around was was really built around him at that point with Gus Edwards, with the tight ends of uh, Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst was, eh. Uh, Willie Sneed had a great, great year. They really started to form an offense around him. And then when they took the whole offense this past year and completely molded around him with Mark Ingram coming in, with Marquise Brown coming in, um, it started to take off. And you could see the progression he's had. 
So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have said Lamar Jackson would be better as a receiver than as a quarterback when he was coming out of college. Because honestly, what team in the National Football League, besides the Baltimore Ravens and maybe a few others, maybe Seattle would have done it, but anybody in the market for a quarterback last year, Arizona, right? Arizona was in the market. Um, Washington was in the market. I don't think they drafted anybody last year. No, they had Alex Smith at that point. But Buffalo drafted a quarterback. Um, Cleveland, imagine if Cleveland got Lamar Jackson. It wouldn't be Lamar Jackson dominating the AFC North. It would be Lamar Jackson's being a wasted talent. That is probably the biggest reason that coming into the National Football League as a quarterback for him was a gamble. But it was a gamble that paid off mightily because now he's in the MVP conversation. And I honestly am so glad we picked him up because he would not have succeeded anywhere else. I mean, maybe there are a few other places. But most teams in the National Football League would have told him to stay in the pocket, would have told him to just throw and do it now. Not, let's put in a plan so you can develop and make you a very good quarterback. They're just going to throw you in the fire and see if you burn. That was going to be the strategy for a lot of teams out there. And honestly, that is one of the reasons I thought he was going to be a better quarterback I'm sorry, better receiver than quarterback coming out of college. I imagine that's a lot of what Bill Polian was thinking because there was going to be no way. And, and and honestly, I had no idea the Ravens could tail an offense this good to Lamar Jackson. And they've exceeded all my expectations. But that, you know, not to defend Bill Polian too much, but I just want to give a little context there to at least why I thought it. Because I did think it, I will admit that freely, that Lamar Jackson was going to be a better receiver than the quarterback. You can come and hunt me down. I don't care. You know, I... I don't stand by that anymore, but, you know, coming out of college, I thought it was the right decision. Okay, so the Ravens and Patriots played. <laughs> I don't know if you missed that one, but they did play. Um, and I was there. If you paid attention to the Twitter feed, you saw some pictures. It was a very, very, very fun night. It's actually my first Ravens primetime game. I mean, how many primetime games at home do the Ravens actually get on a yearly basis? Like one every two years? It, it seems that way. They didn't have any last year. I was there every year, every game last year. I'm going every game this year. Hopefully, every game next year. We'll keep seeing how many I can keep going to. Maybe I'll get in the press bo- press box one day. If you're listening, Ravens PR staff, you know, hit me up with a press ba- pass. I'll be there every week. Um, but the Ravens played the Patriots. You know, it was cold outside, but it was awesome. It was the loudest stadium I've ever been to. And I've been to a lot of Ravens games even before I started podcasting, even before I started writing. I've been to Ravens games. It was never as loud as it was. I mean, my right ear felt numb at times because there were some people on my right side that were so loud, but the entire stadium was so loud. It was amazing. It was fantastic. The Ravens beat them 37-20. to 20. Take that, New England. Honestly, it felt so good to watch them win this game and solidify themselves, really, as one of the top seeds in the AFC. Um, by the end of the year, I don't know if they're going to be number one, but I... I kind of expect them to be a, have a first-round bye at this point, and maybe it's just my homer attitude coming in, which I try to always suppress for the purposes of, of objective journalism here. But man, it feels good. It really feels good to have this win behind us now. To get to 6-2 and two and be the second seed in the AFC North right now halfway through the season, it feels so good. Especially coming against the Patriots and beating them in a head-to-head matchup, fantastic. Lamar Jackson outplayed Tom Brady. I said it. He did. 
three touch three touchdowns. Okay, two on the ground, one in the air. No interceptions. Tom Brady had one touchdown total, two hundred eighty-five yards. Um, but when you actually break down, I mean, he yeah, he got more yardage than um, Lamar Jackson. But his percentage, I mean, he threw thirty completions on forty-six attempts. He threw forty-six times and only got two hundred eighty-five yards. Compare that to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson threw the ball 17 times for 23 attempts, 162 yards in the air for 7.1 yards per attempt. That's almost a whole yard more on every attempt. And, of course, he's got that touchdown with no interception, higher quarterback rating, 107.7 to 80.4. And on the ground, he again dominated 16 for 61, uh, two touchdowns, as long as 18. I mean, but... Mark Ingram on the ground. I mean, that was fantastic, too. If you look at that, 15 carries for 115 yards, 7.7 average. The ground game destroyed the New England Patriots. It flat out killed them. They had no stop for it. In the first quarter, they scored 17 points. And I heard somebody, I don't know if this is true, but I heard somebody say that no team had scored 17 on New England this year. And they did it in the first quarter. So chew on that one a little bit and tell me how good this Ravens offense really is. Because honestly, I was a little disappointed with this Ravens offense. They weren't putting up enough points, in my opinion. There were so many missed opportunities. They were accumulating the yards, but they weren't converting when it was necessary. They started to um, get away from that trend in Seattle with that fourth down conversion when they needed it most to, to put that game away. And they started to chip away here against the Patriots pretty early. Now, they let the Patriots come back and, and, and really start to threaten. And that was that was concerning because the Patriots got to the point where uh, it was seventeen to thirteen. But then Baltimore got another touchdown. Um, I think it was by virtue of I don't remember how they got it, but they got it. Um, let me check that up for us now. So yeah, in the end of of this, they started the second half. Um, the Baltimore Ravens got a touchdown on a 14-play, 81-yard drive that went for 8 minutes and 9 seconds. 8.09. Just think of that. A quarter is 15 minutes. That's more than half a quarter on a single drive. And it was to Nick Boyle. And I predicted that one. If you were on my Twitter feed at that moment, you, you'll see I said, throw it to Boyle. I think they called a timeout right before, so I had time to do this. I said, throw it to Boyle. They'll never expect it. And then they threw it to Boyle for the touchdown. For his first touchdown ever, I was very happy for Nick Boyle. He's a great player. Doesn't get the credit he deserves at all. He does not get that credit because he's always blocking. No one no one watches the blockers. But when you know what Nick Boyle does and how integral he is to this offense, you're very happy for him. But he gets a touchdown. Um, fantastic play by the Baltimore Ravens there. And they started that drive. Seven with seven minutes and 50, 57 seconds left in the third quarter. The drive ended in the fourth quarter. And, of course, the Ravens had that fumble recovery for the touchdown early in the second quarter, in the third quarter. Actually, it was the first drive of the third quarter um, by Marlon Humphrey. Fantastic play. That's the second fumble recovery of the year. That's another fumble recovery Um no, it's his third fumble recovery of the year. Wow, second returned. Right, he had one in Pittsburgh that wasn't returned. He's got down on that one. Then he had one in Seattle last week, and he had one this week against New England. 
Fantastic play by Marlon Humphrey. Then the Ravens get the ball back with 12.47 left in the third, no, fourth quarter. And they go for 9 minutes and 35 seconds when the Patriots absolutely need to stop. And they punch it in on a one-yard rush by Lamar Jackson. How on earth does this offense, against a defense that was being called one of the greatest of all time, compared to Ravens 2000, they were saying this is a Ravens 2000 caliber defense. How does it not stop a, quote, running back at quarterback for two drives in the second half, one for 809, one for 935? The time of possession for this game, when you look at it, it's insane. The Baltimore Ravens held the ball for 37 minutes and one second. New England only held the ball for two. 20, 22 minutes and 59 seconds. Total yardage is roughly the same, accumulated. 372 to 342. Baltimore had just more, four more first downs, 26 to 22. But the Ravens' ground attack kept it on the ground, kept the clock moving, and when they started to pull away from the Patriots, they didn't have enough time and they couldn't stop them on offense. That was the deal. They could not stop the Baltimore Ravens' offense from pulling away. And it killed any opportunity New England had to come out with a victory. That is the biggest takeaway from this game. That this Ravens offense can control games. When was the last time you thought you would ever hear? Or when's the last time you, you ever heard the Baltimore Ravens have an offense that controls games? I've never heard it. It's only ever been the defense can control games for us. Now we have an offense with a vastly improving defense. Every week it gets better. They held New England to 20 points. This is Tom Brady. I mean, it's not the same Tom Brady. He's, he's going to have to retire after this year. But they held him to an 80.4 passer rating with 285 yards, an average of 6.2 on 46 attempts, only completed 30 of them, a, a touchdown and a pick. Their leading rusher had 38 yards. It was James White. They only got 74 yards on the ground. Mohamed Sanu had a, had a good day. 10 receptions for 81. Ellerman had 10 receptions for 89. But they just weren't able to score when it counted. And that's the big difference between these two teams here. They simply weren't able to pull it off. The New England Patriots. They could not stop the Baltimore Ravens offense. This is a very, very good offense. And Lamar Jackson, rightfully so, is in the MVP conversation. He won Offensive Player of the Week again. That's the second one of the season. AFC Offensive Player of the Week. You tell me he's a running back. And I wrote an article. I said he's not a quarterback. He's a super weapon is what he is. He's not a, he's, th this dude is not a quarterback. He's a super weapon. And I stand by that because, I mean, you look at these stats. It doesn't matter how he accumulates yards. He accumulates yards. He's on track to have a record-breaking season. When you look at the numbers, I mean, when you run the numbers – because we're halfway through the season, right? And I still have to write my, my, uh, my midseason awards, but we're halfway through the season. And Lamar Jackson, if you take his first half of the season and you just multiply it by two, you can get, I mean, it's not going to be super accurate, but you can get what he's on track for. He's on pace to throw for 3,626 yards, 24 touchdowns, and just 10 interceptions, which is very good for any quarterback. And then, of course, rushed for 1,274 yards and 10 touchdowns. Yeah, you heard me right. 1,274 yards and 10 touchdowns is what he's on pace for, on the ground. 
And Mark Ingram is on pace for 1,000 yards as well. I mean, these aren't Michael Vick numbers. These are beyond Michael Vick numbers. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. And people want to say he's a, he's a bad quarterback. I mean, problem is he's not a quarterback. He's a super weapon. Now, I think we talked a little bit enough about the New England Patriots here. Let's move on to the trap game. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens meet for the second time this year. How is that going to work out for Baltimore? Well, I mean, I'm considering this a trap game, but I don't think the Ravens are actually going to lose. Um, And the big reason for that is there's no A.J. Green. The bad man can't hurt you if he ain't on the field. A.J. Green, after kind of flirting with the idea of playing this week, um, just not medically ready to go. There's no Andy Dalton either. They benched Andy Dalton for Ryan Finley. And look, Andy Dalton was never a very good quarterback. He was always about average. But why are you benching Andy Dalton now? Of all times to bench Andy Dalton, you're 0-8. You're not going for a playoff shot. I mean, if you want to see what Ryan Finley can do, okay, I get it. But, I mean, it seems like they're going to move on from the Red Rifle. And honestly, he was actually having a decent year. For such a bad team, I think he was fourth in passing yards. He's really not that terrible of a quarterback. He really isn't. He's not a great quarterback. I wouldn't call him a good quarterback. I'd call him average. But for Ryan Finley? I don't get it. I mean, maybe they just want to see what Ryan Finley can do. Maybe they sat them both down and said, we're just going to put Ryan Finley in for a little bit. But the impression is he's going to start the rest of the year, which I think is kind of crazy. But, you know, I'm not the... The, the protege, Zach Taylor, just because he knew and worked for um, Sean McVay for a little bit. You know, oh my God. Therefore, he must be the best coach on the market for Cincinnati. And let's, let's not hire Mike McCarthy. No, no. Not the guy who won a Super Bowl and has been to the playoffs like 9 out of 11 years. Let's take a 30-some-year-old who just worked for Sean McVay for a few years. That'll, that'll solve all our problems here in Cincinnati. But moving on now, Cincinnati's injury report, not exactly the greatest situation, but not the worst situation for Cincinnati. Tyler Eifert should play. He was a full participant on Thursday. And again, we don't have all of Friday's uh, practice you know, status because right now is Friday. Um, it hasn't come out yet. AJ Green, he's out. He's not participating. Trey Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick did not participate in Wednesday or Thursday's practice with a knee injury. I do not expect him to play on Sunday. Alex Redmond, the guard, Knee, ankle injury, did not participate, did not participate Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I don't expect him to play on Sunday, although I guess, I guess it would be possible. Terquez Denard, the cornerback, has a hamstring injury but is a full participant on Wednesday and Thursday. Cordy Glenn, the offensive tackle, has a concussion, but he was a full participant on both days. He should play along with Denard. Carl Lawson, hamstring injury, was a full participant on both days, and John Miller, the guard with a groin injury was a full participant on both days as well. So obviously, Drake Kirkpatrick and AJ Green are big losses, and they are probably not going to play on Sunday. I'm not sure Alex Redmond. I mean, this offensive line is already terrible enough in Cincinnati. Losing another one is going to be bad enough for them, but I mean, how much more worse could it get? And against the Ravens' pass rush, still the biggest issue on Baltimore's defense. Maybe they'll have a little bit more time for Ryan Finley. Now, um, key players for the Cincinnati Bengals, the first one will be Ryan Finley. 
What can Ryan Finley do against the Baltimore Ravens defense? A defense that has been very, very improved over the past two weeks. We'll see whether Finley has a little magic. Uh, beginner's luck against the Ravens. Against the secondary, though, with Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr, Anthony Averett, Bennett Jackson, Cyrus Jones, whoever they put back there. Um, without A.J. Green, with a, you know, Tyler Eifert. I mean, Eifert, you know, is coming off of an injury. He did not participate on Wednesday. I'm sorry, not even injury. It's a non-injury related absence, actually. So he should be out there. Um, but, you know, is, is Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Jimmy Smith really fair against Tyler Eifert, Tyler Boyd, and wide receiver number three, whoever that is? Probably not. So we'll see how that goes for them. They really could have used A.J. Green, though. They really, really could have used him. And Jake Kirkpatrick, I think he was injured in the Ravens game, actually, if I remember correctly. That's a big loss for them. He's their best corner. They really don't have a secondary right now. Uh, they're going to need some help back there. Um, but, you know, Ryan Finley, overall, is probably going to be the most important player for the Cincinnati Bengals. But someone who has to help him out is Tyler Boyd. He's their second key player, and the reason he's a key player is there's no A.J. Green. He needs somebody he can just have some familiarity with. Tyler Boyd is going to have to be that guy against this Ravens defense, though. Secondary that's that's been not locked down, but much better over the past few weeks. What can Tyler Boyd do? Will he be able to get open on his routes? Will he be able to make contested catches? Because Ryan, you know Ryan Finley is not going to be extremely accurate throwing the ball. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to come off the bench and light up the world like like he's Peyton Manning or Teddy Bridgewater. You know, Teddy Bridgewater came off the bench and lit up the world. Ryan Finley is not Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, maybe he can be in the future, but he's not right now. He's going to need somebody out there to make these catches, to run these routes, to get open, and to be that number one receiver. Is Tyler Boyd up to the challenge? That we are waiting to see. And finally, the last key player I'm going to say is Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins the defensive tackle is going to be tasked with stopping some of these runs up the middle. You've got Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards constantly going up the middle. Can Atkins actually stop it? I mean, he's going to have to go up against Matt Skura, and maybe they can push him more against um, Bradley Bozeman, left guard who's been struggling in recent weeks, you know, to offset the balance there in that, that line. But, of course, if you run right, then what – with, with Marshall Yonda, it's going to be a much more difficult situation for Geno Atkins to account for. He's going to have to be tasked with stopping the run game, which is the lifeblood of the late Ravens offense. Let's be real. Lamar Jackson throwing the ball is good, but it is not in any comparison to what the Ravens can do on the ground. They outgain everybody on the ground by a, by a mile. Uh, I think it's like at least 30 yards from the number two rushing team in the league, San Francisco. Last time I checked, at least. Um, so Geno Atkins is going to be dealing with that. Honestly, it's going to be very difficult for this Raven, for this Bengals defense to stop this Ravens offense. Just the way it moves so quickly on the ground eats time away. Even if they do stop them, I mean, they're going to chip all that time just moving the ball a few feet. And then the, you know, the Bengals offense, if it sputters a little bit, it's going to be a, it could be a hopeless matchup for the, for the Bengals. But we can't count them out. It would be a trap game. It is a trap game. If we count them out, it would be a very, very... Bad decision to do that. And, of course, you can't count anybody in the National Football League out. They are the only winless team remaining. And I kind of doubt they're going to finish winless. So we'll see how they do this Sunday, though. And it will be our last matchup with the Bengals. So as long as we get a win here, we'll escape with a sweep of the Bengals, who used to really have the Ravens number back in the Flacco days. But Lamar Jackson, I don't think, has lost to the Bengals yet. 
So we'll see if he can get victory number three against Cincinnati this upcoming week. That's going to end our podcast here. Make sure you check out the preview and predictions on BaltimoreFeather.com tomorrow on Saturday. That's when they'll be out. You'll get our live coverage of the game on Twitter on Sunday as well. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Chris Linfont. If you want to follow the Baltimore Feather, follow at BeMoreFeather. And you can follow Nest Talk at Nest Talk on Twitter. If you want to find us on Facebook, just search up Nest Talk or the Baltimore Feather. You can find us there. Um, BaltimoreFeather.com for the latest Grace and Ravens news and opinion articles. Sign up for the email news list gets you all the latest articles in your email inbox so it's super easy let's say you're on your phone um you know dawdling at work as your you know pittsburgh steelers boss has no idea and you don't want to have to work for him because he's a pittsburgh steelers guy you can go on your phone check your email Ooh, a ravens news alert you click on it and boom lj4 to your extension you know and now you can go tell your pittsburgh steeler boss that the guy who used to be a steeler is now with the ravens again for another two years um, so that's always a great thing to do. And, of course, if you are listening on YouTube or iTunes, subscribe there. Give us a like. Give us a rating. always helps us out. And, of course, if you have any questions or feedback for the next um, Nest Talk podcast, episode 53 next week on Friday, make sure you comment it on the YouTube channel. Send it on a DM. Email us, info at baltimorefeather.com. I really don't care how you get it to us, but I always appreciate the feedback whenever I can get it. And, of course, the questions. I love to have football conversations with our listeners out there. Um, so this has been Christopher Linfont for the Nest Talk podcast and BaltimoreFeather.com uh, for Nest Talk episode 52, again recorded on November 8th, 2019. Uh, signing out. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you on Friday.